BJ Council. I view the world through the lens of having been followed by a white clerk as a child while shopping in a five and dime. I'm a retired police executive and own UN50, which gives guidance on surviving interactions with police. I'm Harmony Chavis, and I view the world through the lens of one of the most misunderstood and diverse generations in our nation's history. I'm a social worker and a believer of radical kindness and love as modalities of healing. My name is Andrew Council. I view the world through the lens of a generational camera phone. I wake up as a black male and go to bed as a black male. I am surviving this never-ending court case we commonly call life in the best way I know how. Well, welcome back for those of you that are joining us again. For those, uh, some of our frequent flyers or frequent listeners, we, we appreciate you guys joining UN50 uh, for another episode. Uh, we have Mr. Principal John Williams from Carborough, from Phoenix Academy. It's, it's Chapel Hill, Chapel Hill Carborough City Schools. Chapel Hill Carborough City Schools. I apologize. Thank you for that correction. No problem. It's no problem. Spoken like a true teacher. <laughs> uh, so the Chapel Hill Carborough uh, for Phoenix Academy High School. Uh, and so what we're going to do, we're going we're gonna to talk to him about what he's doing at his school. And like we said, we always try to do some topics that kind of relate to law enforcement, but not necessarily because we believe at UN50 that the issues that are going on in the black and brown community across the country and locally is, is larger than law enforcement. Um, so for those of you that may be joining us for the first time, uh, my name is BJ Council and you and 5 and we go around and we talk and teach individuals how to survive the interaction with law enforcement, mainly black and brown folks, but the information we give is for everybody. The ultimate goal and the only uh, primary reason that we even started this business was we need people to get home. We need folks to get to the house. We're not really interested in whether or not you like the popo or what side of the aisle, so to speak, that you're on. Uh, we just want you to be on the side of an aisle and not under the ground. So we just need you to get to the house. So that is that is the ultimate goal uh, for you and 5-0. My two primary and only co-hosts uh, are uh, Harmony Chavis and Andrew Council. So um, Andrew, you wanna introduce yourself real quick? Or just say, hey, because I think folks know you by now if they've been listening. Yes, I would hope so. Um, <laughs> Just hey, good to um glad to have y'all back to hear us talk one more time. I'm um, pass the mic to Harmon. Right. Hey everybody, it's um it's your girl. Just kidding. Imagine if, if I call you that would you have me on here? Um it's your girl. <laughs> I know I feel like I need an intro at this point. Like maybe Chris um, can help me out with one. Um <laughs> Yeah, things are good on my end. I don't know if you can see Waffles is sitting on this side of me. No, I can't see Waffles. I saw Molly earlier. Yeah, she's um she's laying down beside me. So I'm I'm like I'm in heaven right now. I have both of my babies um, oh, on each nice. side. So yeah. um, they're interested in listening to the podcast too. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they family. They fam. They fam. Yeah. So thank you, Mr. John Williams, principal uh at Phoenix Academy High, which is also, uh, it's an alternative school for, for the school district. So I kind of want to just say thank you for these years of support uh, that you have done for you and 5 and me personally, because I've actually had to talk to you about some things and you've been very kind in offering your wisdom. Um, but I think we need, you know, when you see Mr. Williams' um, bio, he, he has been recognized on several occasions for the work that he's doing with his students. 
Um, he's going to give us a little deep information about himself, but one of the things I was reading, I already knew this about him, but I kind of want, especially with the discussion going around this country right now as to whether or not police officers should be in schools, uh, Principal Williams does not have a school resource officer in his building. Um, so I think that um, that speaks to how he and his staff and the relationship and what he's looking at. And then also, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and put put your quote out there uh, that you always say that, you know, you, your children, what is it that you say about? I, I, I don't have problem children. I have children with problems. And, yeah. It, yeah. It, and it just makes sense to me. I mean, so many people, a lot of times, think children attending, uh, I believe that children that are attending an alternative school are problem children. And it's so twisted. I mean, it's really twisted. You have children with problems just like everybody else has. And once you realize that, you begin to focus on the issues around the child and their environment and how to support them versus trying to fix the child, which is not an issue. The child, you know, that's another story in itself. I could go all day long on that. No, we want you to go on. That's why, yeah, that's why we that's why I had you on because we we want you to go on. Look, I, I got harmony, but she's gonna be up here. Doing I'm like that. cheesing from ear to ear. This is my type of conversation. I know we, we <laughs> <laughs> She's going to be amen in the corner up to death. Well, it, it was right after I was on a forum. It was School to Prison Pipeline, probably in 2014 or 15. They had a forum in Durham, and WNC uh, uh, was doing it and had this going on. There were several people, the police chief, uh, one of the local judges, and Judge O'Neill, I think it was, several yeah. people were on the forum. And that was the first time I actually made the statement because it was relevant at that time. And I made it publicly that, you know, we don't have children, problem children. We have children with problems. And not long after that, uh, I think UNC asked to do, uh, NPR asked to do an interview with me. And I did that interview. But it was based off of that philosophy. When you realize that you're serving children and your purpose here is to serve them, you begin to look at them a little different than looking at this as if they are the issue that you have to deal with when you realize there's so many factors going on in these children's lives. And it's not just because they're family. And it's not just because of their small little community, but systemic issues that has brought them to this point. And you say, oh, this is what I'm dealing with. And I need to address these issues in order to help uh, serve these children that I'm supposed to be serving. So, so I think it's so important um, that you're using people first language. Um, when we use people's, when we use labels in general to define people, like I hate when people say um, autistic children, they're children right. with autism. So it's, it's so important, yeah, that you go back to person first. Right. They're not problem children, they're children with problems. Um, you know, even just, even just you saying that for me reframes the way that we're able to have this conversation. Um, it reminds me a lot of what we do in social work, which is addressing the systemic issues, uh, the entire environment and not just one piece of it. Um, and I find that in schools, because there are such limited resources and we are working with such archaic, barbaric, outdated systems, um, it's, it's hard to see the children and then their problems. It's much easier when they are the problem. Um, at least it seems like it, right? Until it doesn't actually fix anything. So I'm so excited for this conversation. Um, I have one priming question just because I'm curious before we start talking about 
kind of your program and your approach to things, how would children within um, Chapel Hill or Carborough get into that alternative program? Is it a referral base? Is it like, how, how does that happen typically? You know, it's, it's kind of interesting because it, asking that question opens up a lot of doors. Uh, when I first got here, uh, there was a uh, SRO at the school. Uh, one of the things I first wanted to do because it was such a small school and I needed to change the image of how it's represented it and the children that we serve. Uh, I, I couldn't have people continue to look down at, at the children. Uh, I asked that there was not an SRO continue to be at the school and I, I never put one here. Uh, so when, when it was that way, and, and one of the reasons why I, I told people, I, I don't, my children are not prisoners. They, <laughs> you know, don't get me wrong. There's a time when you have a large school, I think there needs to be an SRO. But when you have a small school and you can build those relationships, that's what it's all about. That's where it starts at is building relationships. And I realized we had to change that image. Um, but at that time, the school was primarily focused on receiving children who had been long-term suspended or recommended for long-term suspension. Okay. Um, and just in some point, form or fashion, people not realizing that they were being disenfranchised, the children had been disenfranchised through the traditional education system. Mm -hmm. So it was, I don't want to call it a dumping ground. I'm, I'm not sure that was ever the purpose, but that was how it was somewhat being treated. And uh, there was a lot of trouble with many of the students being here. There was a lot of fights and everything else. Uh, I've been fortunate, uh, and I'm going back to your question. Uh, I've been here for nine years at the alternative school in Chapel Hill, and we've had two fights in the school in nine years. That's incredible. Uh, that, and in the last year before we went out for the pandemic, uh, we didn't have one out-of-school suspension the entire year. So we changed the model so that the school now, uh, once we got here and my social worker, my counselor, and I really began to put together a plan on changing the culture of the school, we began to offer honor classes. So at our Turner School, we have honors classes. We have students going to college. This past uh, graduation in June, we had 26 students graduate and 11 of those 26 got scholarships because they were already enrolled in college, already taking college classes, or had already been accepted. So the model is completely a little bit different. So when you ask that question, that's why I wanted to preface what I'm going to say next with where we are now. Uh, stu students come to the school under several different situations. I'll start off with the basic. The basic one is if a student is recommended for long-term suspension from one of the other three traditional high schools, the superintendent has the option to move forward with a long-term suspension or refer them to Phoenix Academy High School and I set that student in. That is an, an administrative placement by the superintendent and it's her decision and her decision alone once the committee meets and she makes that final decision. So that's one way. And when you're talking about long-term suspension, you're talking about a student who may have been caught with drugs on them two or three times, fighting uh, a weapon or something like that, then we will wind up, a knife for example, we will wind up uh, having that student or something like that. Another way a student could come here is that if this counselor, social worker, um, administrator, 
realizes this student is not being successful. Now, there could be several reasons. It could be a, a ninth grade student, first year ninth grade student that's been at the school for about six months and they just realized they're too academically compromised, too far behind. The resources are not there. They refer them to us. Okay. Uh, one of the things that happens when they first come to our school, every student assigned to Phoenix Academy under the traditional setting, meaning that no pandemic, mm -hmm. every student receives an assessment on, on literacy as well as math. That's the first thing that we do. We determine where they are, what the Lexile score, what, what grade level can they read and comprehend. And then we tailor a program for them. So if you look at Phoenix Academy, where our day program has 38 students, let's say that around 38 students is where we're really able to serve effectively and, and, and with resources. I look at it like this here. We have 38 students. We have 38 schools inside of this school. Mm -hmm. because each student is getting what they needed because we do those assessments and begin to tailor a program to meet that particular student need. Mm -hmm. um, so as I was saying, that's one way they just realized the administration, staff, educators, teachers realize the student need some additional support. So that's one. Another way is if the student or their parent or guardian realizes they need some additional support and they need a smaller setting or they need they, they have some type of anxiety, school anxiety or something else. They need some additional wraparound supports that we specialize in at Phoenix Academy. We're a trauma-informed school because we teach our teachers about traumas, ACEs, all of this thing. I'm a licensed mental health counselor. I have a clinical social worker. I have a school social worker. We, we go through all of this training. We take our teachers through these trainings. So uh, we provide those additional wraparound supports and are able to grab those things immediately or put those things into place immediately. So those are basically three ways so far. The uh, superintendent, uh, the school may see a need, the family may see a need. Uh, another way that could be placed here is that the administrator by themselves is working with the uh, director over student services and support, student mm -hmm. support. And they may see a, a, a unique need. For example, you may have a student who has had some type of a trauma, uh, abuse trauma or something and need a different setting. So they may wind up doing administrative placement. They talk with me or we wrap around our support, see what we can do to provide services for this child. And this child may be accepted. Because we're the only block scheduled school in the district, meaning that we have four classes per semester where the other schools have seven classes for the year. If a student is moving into the district coming from a block schedule, for example, a student moving from Durham, say they're moving in from Riverside or Jordan's uh, uh, Southern or one of the other high schools and Hillside, and they're coming over into Chapel Hill. Well, they're on block schedules over there, a majority of them on block schedule. Well, if you're coming in and you're on a block schedule and the traditional, one of the traditional high schools over here are already halfway through their year, it won't fit. So we may wind up receiving that student because we're on block schedule and we'll try to accommodate their schedule if we can and bring them in so that they can finish out the year and move them on. Therefore, many of the students that are over here that we are serving 
aren't students that have been getting into trouble or having problems that is tra tra uh, traditionally associated with an alternative school. These are students who need some additional supports, wraparound services, and we bring them in and pro provide that. The unfortunate thing is, is that probably close to 80 something percent, 85% of the students we receive, we find they have been academically compromised. They are two, three, I think we've had the highest was about six years academically behind, mm -hmm. uh, even though they were in the ninth, 10th, 12th grade, wow. their reading skill level was second, third or fourth grade. And, wow. and we have wow. to try to fill those gaps as much as we can before we move this child on. And our goal is to actually do almost a concentration on building those primary core skills, literacy, mm -hmm. reading, because if you can teach them to read, it's like the old biblical story about teaching a person to fish yeah. or feeding them one. If you can teach them to read, yes. they stand a chance. But if they walk out of here without that, no matter what else, right. their chances are slim to none. And, and I base this, if you know anything about my history, off of my own past. I know the, the core thing that I had to do in order to begin to move uh, after I realized I barely graduated from high school and a couple of years after graduating, realized that I had a sixth and seventh grade reading and math level, I had to go back and learn to read. Okay. And that's what took me uh, to this point where I am now. I hope that answered your question. It did. It didn't it take did. up too much of your time. Well, I don't get emotional, but I don't get emotional on this podcast. When you said, um, when you said that you offered honors classes for your students, yes. for me, that was just, it was such a poignant point because it's, it's amazing um, just how much you believe in those students and the fact that you would give kids at a quote unquote alternative high school, this option to take these advanced classes. I, I think it just goes back to treating people with integrity and, and believing in them and letting them be the own authors of, of their own story, letting them control the pen. I think that that is so, so, so important, um, especially as a person that is in a position of leadership with, with kids that may be um, vulnerable in some mm -hmm. sense. I just, I think it's incredible. I think you're incredible. Um, and I can't believe I didn't know about this before now. <laughs> this, is, this is awesome. Uh, I'll tell you now, like I said, you can type my name in, you'll see the work that we're doing. I'm going to tell you now, and, and this, is, I mean, this is not a false sense of uh, humility and all of this stuff. The team that I serve, now you're talking about getting emotional. That's emotional. These guys, they are in the trenches and they, I mean, literally, now I'm going to say something, you're going to say, wow. <laughs> my teachers that I serve will fight me to save the children. Mm -hmm. So even when I make decisions that they think, that's a little rough, Mr. Williams, they'll come into my office and says, I don't agree with that. You can do what you want to do, Mr. Williams. You're in charge, but I don't <laughs> think you're right. And they will do that. And I encourage them to do that. Uh, I've always believed that if a staff member that is serving the children that we're serving ever steps out to advocate for a child, I have to support them. Yes. 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 That's automatic. When they advocate, they, they are saying, I am willing to stand the gap on behalf of this baby 
And, and you forgive me, I'm dealing with children that are 18, 19, 16. Look like your babies. They're babies to me. They're my babies. And they come in and they say, Mr. Williams, back off. Just, I'm just telling you. But how many of them I can only imagine have never even had the chance to be somebody's baby. And like, this is the importance of when we do have people doing this work that it's hard work um, because, you know, you can, you can have all of the academic support necessary, but if you don't have people who love you and whose hearts can touch your heart, I think that that's where the real transformation happens. And I think that that's a lot of what I would say, majority of systems today are missing is people being able to touch each other's hearts. So for me, it's so encouraging to know that you are touching these kids' lives. And for a moment in time, they do get to be somebody's baby. Um, because that is, in my, in my humble opinion, is integral to creating healthy, functional, competent, confident adults as being somebody's baby at one point. So, that's I, I, And I agree with you. And it's um, sometimes people get confused about the work that I do because uh, they, they think it's passion that I have. And I try to tell people I don't have a lot of passion about too much of anything. I really don't. But I have compassion for the lives of the children that I serve. And the compassion that I have radiates that way. Now, I'm not going to go psycho-religious on anyone. But <laughs> I, I used the, the example. I said, you know, you can't tell me that Christ, if you believe in him, had passion about going on the cross and being nailed to a cross. That won't passion. He had compassion for the people and their souls, their spirit. And, and that's what I try to model. It's about compassion. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe in what I do. I believe that I'm supposed to stand the gap. Now, I can't fix Chapel Hill, Carborough City Schools. I close the gap by myself. But I can make a difference at Phoenix Academy High School. So this is my little gate. And that's what I encourage everybody when it came down to voting at this past election. I said, you know, I don't need to go out and do a big voting campaign. What I need to do is make sure my three daughters vote. I need to make sure my wife votes. I need to make sure that the people in this loop that I have a circle over vote. If I do that part, <laughs> I'm okay. I'm okay. So it's the same thing with the children that I serve. I can't fix everybody, but if you darken my door and you step in here, then I can have an impact. And that's what I try to do. Yeah. And, and, and that's all I try to do. And I try to get other people to do the same thing. And I have this motto that I share with everybody and I share it pretty much at every graduation we have. And this is my motto and this is why I am here tonight. If you want to be successful in life, spend your life trying to make sure others are successful. That's it. And I believe that. I believe that that's the core of everything that I try to do. That's why I'm here. BJ needed me. <laughs> Will you come in and do, oh yes. That's what I do. I don't know if that made sense to you, but it's simple for me. And I try, to, I try to work with that. And Absolutely. I remember being told um, when I was doing my first internship, um, I felt so overwhelmed. And I talked to my supervisor. I was like, how the hell do you do this every day and go home semi-sane? And she told me about this story that she'd heard about this little girl on the beach and there were thousands of and how somebody came up to her and told her you know you're being stupid you're 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 not going to be able to throw all of these starfish oh, right. in the back in the ocean and she said but for this one it mattered 
Yeah, she picked up, she picked up one, yep. threw them back and said, for that one, it yeah. made a difference. And that's how that's how you have to, you have to live. You, you, you can become overwhelmed, you can become depressed, or you can give up if you're trying to tackle the whole system. But if you look at your circle of influence where you have an opportunity to serve, that's where it counts. And, and I remember uh, a few years ago, and if you saw my biography, uh, it talks about this one award I won a few years ago. And they kept talking about me being a servant leader. You're a servant leader, you're a servant leader, you're a servant leader. And when I had a chance to speak at the podium, I told them, I said, first of all, I'm not a servant leader. I, in fact, I don't believe in the concept. I said, what it is is that I am a servant that just so happens to be in a leadership position. So it doesn't matter what position I'm in or where I am, I'm still a servant and I'm called to do what I do in that position. So if I was driving a school bus, I'm a servant. Right. Oh, you're gonna call me a servant school bus driver? No, yeah. I'm just a servant. And that's the way I see it. And I think that the more people, it, it, my terminology, when I talk about the students, I serve. When I talk about the school, I serve. When I talk about the staff, I serve. Very seldom will you hear the word, my staff, my school, my students. They're not. Right. I, I, am, I am number one first, the servant. I am the biggest servant in the school. More is called of me. I'm more responsible to serve everyone. Right. Yeah, so. Cool. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's why, you know, he's, he's the man. I knew Harmony would fall in love with him. Uh, so yeah, I knew that. You're right up, right up her alley. Uh, I kind of want to talk about a couple of things I definitely want to touch base on, but first, because you mentioned already trauma-informed school, but also I was looking at, um, and I'm not going to pronounce this correct, Principal Williams, dialectical? Dialectical behavioral therapy. It is. <laughs> I know, you got the word right. Um, so yeah. when I saw that and I was reading, because I'm also doing some work with um, uh, violence, alternative violence project. Uh, I don't know whether you're familiar with AVP Quaker based and all that kind of stuff. And I, the way that this was written up in this article and is Miss, is Miss Sanchez Lane still with you? Yes, she is. She is. And, yeah. And so it, it reminded me of, the, of AVP because it says it, this behavior is so we're talking about what triggers the kids in, in responding. And, and this helps them to understand and recognize that. And I think that's huge. Uh, can you just talk about that a little bit? I mean, I, I think. Well, well, for one thing, every student that is recommended for long term suspension and it's put into Phoenix Academy has to go through our DBT class. We have a DBT class that runs parallel every semester, all year long. We have the DBT, we have to have students in. And what it is, is just core, and we've expanded it. It's not just DBT teaching them that there, there could be two, uh, two opposing issues existing at the same time, and it's okay. It's not just that, but we go into, triggers, we go into communication skills, we go into conflict resolutions, problem solving. And one of the things that I have really uh, dealt with and really grew on a, a, a press is providing an opportunity for children to have choice 
in everything that is going on. In fact, even down to choosing whether or not they're going to come to the school. You, it's all about choice. So uh, our, our program has a dialectical behavior class inside of it, and the students actually get credit. It's an elective. Uh, wow. They receive credit for it. So it's, it's part of an integral part of our comprehensive small high school. And no one gets away. And so in, and we try to keep students in it. And several students sometimes take the course a few times because there's so much information that is given. We have a clinical social worker, David Bird, who oversees that particular program. We typically try to make sure a clinical social worker is over that. I do believe that there is a difference between clinical versus just a social worker. When you begin to understand clinical concepts and you go a little bit deeper, there's a lot more work that you can do emotionally with students and stuff. The other thing that I want to uh, talk about, we have a serious character development program. Uh, every day, whenever we stand up right before lunch, we say our pledge and we go into character development. We, we do an inspirational word of the week every single day, uh, every week, all year long, uh, inspirational word. So we'll talk about, for example, self-initiative, or um, courage, um, it, it could be anything, but we use all these different terms that we go open-minded, uh, tolerance, things like that. We drill home and we talk to the students about that. But what we try to do is whenever a student has an issue inside of the school, we try to look at how do we build the student up for them to realize that they are more than that situation. Mm, right, right. So if a student cursed a teacher, cursed out a teacher or whatever, right. and they come up into my office, my conversation isn't about, why did you do that? Have you lost your mind? <laughs> right. My conversation is, you're better than that. Right. And you know it. You know it. You know, first of all, your vocabulary, your vocabulary is larger than that. You could have used so many other words. You know that you wouldn't want anyone to do that to you. And you know that. You know that. And guess what? I'm not going to fix this for you. What are you going to do? And I would say 98, 99% of the time, the students, I'm going back to apologize to the teacher. Oh, you can go back and apologize. That doesn't mean you're going back into the classroom. The teacher makes that decision because that's between you and her. Right. Are you and him? Wow. That's amazing. Mm. Yeah. So, so the student goes back and apologize. And I go out with them and I ask the teacher, do you want them back in the classroom? And sometimes the teacher says, no, they need to sit out for a little while. They, they need some time. Or they say, yeah, I just want them to learn. Okay, come on in. Yeah. yeah. And that's it. So, it, but it's all about choice. And yes. But, and, and it's not, oh, you're coming out. Oh, you're going home, buddy. You are going home. You messed up. No, it's about how do I take this opportunity to teach you? And, and don't get me wrong, I am unique in the sense that. I'll apologize to a, te uh, to a student and I'll apologize in front of everybody. Right. If I've done something that I thought was off the, off the cuff and I said, oh, that didn't go over right. Yeah, I need to fix that. Mm. Yeah, 
So it's not a, and the bottom line is it's not about me. I mean, like I tell anybody, my three daughters are in great shape. <laughs> I'm retired from the military. Uh, I have a great income. I, I can retire from the state anytime. My wife is doing great. She's absolutely a beautiful woman and she's, she's highly educated. We're doing fine. Right. So this is my time to serve. And that's what I'm here for. So I can't take it personal. And it's not about me. It's right. about the people, the staff that I serve and the students that I serve. That's what it's about. Yeah. I remember telling the new superintendent a couple of weeks ago, we were talking and I said, you can go back over nine years of every decision I've made in, for this school and you will never find one that I made for me. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, man, I don't understand. I mean, I don't know why this can't work in largest in in schools. I mean, I don't know why what you do can't be replicated. I mean, and I and I hear you say, you know, of course you're working with less than forty students and and it's small, but you know, you and I talked about it's it's bigger. You know, I you know we tied some of the stuff into law enforcement. You know, and you're talking about the, the this dialectical behavioral therapy. I mean, the the young lady that picked up the knife and and was and was killed. I mean, this would have helped you know, some of the decision makings and, and learning how to understand what her triggers were. I mean, not just her, but just saying. And so what you're doing uh, is saving not only their lives, but their interactions with folks and being able to communicate. And that's just, I don't know, that's just huge for me. And and I know you know that and, and trying to, where does this need to begin? You know, how what you're doing needs to be part of school. Yeah, you know, yeah. it just needs to be. What do you think, Andrew? What do you say, Andrews? I was sorry to interrupt you. I was just agreeing with you. I saying it needs to be a part of like regular curriculum in, in, in public schools. I know that I would have benefited from the things that you were mentioning. Um, I had never. Oh, I had so would I. <laughs> like, he's like thinking about like these are the things that you were mentioning. Any human could benefit from these. And like if just thinking about the people who I've interacted with in regular day, whether it be in work or just people who are my peers, just thinking about how they would have benefited for some of, some of the, the items that you were mentioning in being so young or being between the ages of 16 and 18, it's like, if you all were taught these things at this age, it's, and now you're at your big age and you're now you're doing things <laughs> that you could have, could have saw back in the day or back when you were in high school or in school because you didn't learn those things, those competency items that, that are now you're finding problems and you know, you're running into triggers and things that you didn't even realize you had. You've, you had to realize it back in school, you would probably have been a better human being nowadays. You've you, you been a lot further in life. You, there's been a lot of things that could have changed if you had those. But you know, the school board has often asked me, how do we replicate what you're doing at Phoenix Academy into the other schools? And, and I told them how, I told them how. It, it can be done, but you can't take our small program and just dump it into the, a bigger yeah. school and think right. they're going to do it. What you have to do is start at a classroom and work with a classroom. Then two classrooms, got the classroom right beside it. Then the hall that the students are on. Then the wing that they are on, the, the whole wing. And then you begin to build it out. So in the process, you're building your administrative administration team to understand these concepts and how to respond. You're building your teachers on how to respond and understand the triggers and you pour it into the students. And it's really cool to, to see that happen because this didn't happen even at Phoenix Academy overnight. I mean, like there were some things that changed almost immediately 
when I came over, but it's been taken, it's taken years and we continue to build on uh, what we've created. I mean, like when I first came, there was no students attending college while going to the alternative school. It was just unheard of. Mm-hmm. And now it's common for students to be enrolled in college. I pay for their books. I will pay for their books. Out of my account, I pay for their books so that they can go to Durham Tech or Alamance Community College while they're at Phoenix Academy High School. Wow. Yeah. So, and every student, every single student so far that has been accepted into a community college or four-year school at graduation will receive a scholarship from out from this district. Every student. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I, I got a couple of things we, we uh, that I definitely want to mention. Uh, you asked, we talked about the afterburner. What is the afterburner that you were talking you know, about? <laughs> afterburner. Uh, several years ago, uh, I was telling you, well, I just, I'll start with something I've already shared. I told you that every student that comes into our class, uh, into our school, receives an assessment on their literacy and their math skills so that we can uh, determine where they are and, and we can begin to provide services related directly to that particular student or child. Right. Well, I thought about expanding it. So I put together a program and it has not been instituted. I've shared it with the superintendent. I shared it with the previous superintendent. And I said, this is something I would like to, for you all to consider. And I don't know if they ever will, and it may not be relevant enough. But what it will do, it will go back, and before a student comes into the ninth grade, me leaving middle school and going into high school, you will assess them. Any student that is between two and four, maybe even five years behind in literacy or math, when they come into ninth grade, they are placed in what I call the afterburner program. And what that program would do is focused on intense literacy and math development skills. Don't get me wrong. They're going to continue to work on their other courses so that they move along with with their class. Right. But they literally have a concentrated, and what I would call it is a a regular ninth grade class on steroids. (laughs) With literacy and math. And then when they go into 10th grade, they go into honors courses. Wow. But you have to make those gaps. You have to fill those gaps. So whenever you do an assessment, this is what's neat. What has happened before is people assess students and they say, oh, you have a fifth grade, sixth grade reading level. So they'll go back and try to teach the student sixth grade, seventh grade, and eighth grade reading. But that's not the problem. The problem is, you have gaps that go all the way back to the sixth grade. So what you have to do is target those gaps, the areas where they have gaps in their learning. You don't have to teach them sixth and seventh grade, eighth grade reading all over again, or math all over again. What you have to do is find the gaps. So they may not know how to do fractions. Okay, that's a gap. So we're gonna fill that gap. You you got everything else and we'll build you up. So once you do that, and you target and you, you purposely, purposefully target those weak areas and then focus on those things, you can do that. And, and I remember I was the principal at Tuning Middle School in, in Durham. And that school had not met statewide expected growth 
for six years when I got it. And that was the first school that I ever was the principal at. I had that school for one year and we made expected growth. Wow. And the reason why is, and this is, I didn't come up with this idea. I had a, an assistant principal who was an expert teacher and I had an instructional coach who was completely phenomenal. They looked at the students that was, uh, uh, who um, were, were really low, weak performing. They yeah. pulled them out and targeted their particular areas of weakness. So when they took their EOGs, they blew it out of the water wow. and we made growth. Wow. So it's, it, everything has to be done with purpose, just like this whole system yeah. Yeah. is working fine to keep children, to keep that gap in place. Yeah. Well, if you want to close it, it has to be done purposefully. You can't just keep throwing. That's what's wrong. For 40 years, people have been working on closing the achievement gap. They've thrown more money, brought in more speakers, brought in more new, new <laughs> uh, uh, curriculum, new approaches. But if it's not done with purpose, it's not going to happen. And if it's done in isolation, because the achievement gap that we're dealing with is not because of the school. <laughs> so the school can't fix it by themselves. The achievement gap is because of, and this is something I shared with you, prenatal care, uh, exposure, finances, employment opportunities for parents and families and generations of this stuff that's going on. That's what brought us to this point that we have an achievement gap. So trying to do it simply by changing the school, you lost your mind. It, it doesn't work like that. It's a community <laughs> issue. Right. It, it requires everybody hands on deck. Right. Everybody. Everybody. You can't do it just with the teachers. Right. Yeah. I mean, and yeah. And so this segues into your what? Race. Race. <laughs> <laughs> he has a uh, he has a thing that he's calling uh, that he's created. It's called Resource Allocation Collaboration for Equity Task Force. And um, and he basically he just said it, just, it takes it takes all of us you know we can't we it, we're we're continuing still to this day we're continuing to work in silos, and um, yeah I, I, I've, yeah I've spoken at the social justice uh, program at uh, UNC for the students I did that for several years uh, and I saw some unique things going on there then I was part of the Habitat for Humanity the housing building the homes and I, I, they asked me to come to one of their forums and I set out on that. And I just began to see that everybody are doing these things individually, but nobody is collaborating. So you're never catching it all at the right time. Yep. And that's where the gap is. That's where you'll find your gap. That's where, but once you have these organizations, law enforcement, uh, the legal system, uh, healthcare, education, housing, job and business opportunities. Once you have all of them working together, there's no way anything can slip through the cracks and you can build a, 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 a collaborative that will help support and sustain the most disenfranchised community members that a that's in, within the district. I remember when I was the principal of the year and I was speaking during my speech at the convocation, I said the school can only be measured by the child who is the least successful. Mm. That's how you measure it. 
Right. You don't measure it by the child who is acing everything because I can tell you now, the reason why that child is at the top is because of things that happen outside of the school. Right, right. So you put your resources to place in the bear. That's where you're going to find the strength of the school. It's who supported the weakest child in that school. That's, that's the measurement. And I, I just still believe that. I believe that, you know, when I talk about the success of the students who received scholarships, oh, that's great. I'm really proud of that. I'm happy for that. But it's the one that you didn't hear about that had, was borderline um, with a mental health issue that nobody else saw, that spent time in my office uh, crying or, or hurt or with the blinds down because he didn't want to be seen. That's, that's, what, that's the measurement in the power of Phoenix Academy. You don't see it. Right. Wow. The, the, again, I, I know I'm, I'm saying a lot. I, and I, I know I'm not speaking over anybody's head. I'm just wondering if I'm making sense. No, you, I mean, absolutely. That's why I wanted you on I me mean, because it, it's just bigger. You know, and again, that's why we kind of have folks like you come on because we, we don't need, it's not about the popo. <laughs> no, it's not about the popo. It's not about the popo. It, it's about the entire community, figuring out how can we work together, make everybody successful, the least, the least of us. Well, you know, when you came in, BJ, and we brought you in and we, we tried it, and we're going to be doing that again as soon as we start back. You were just part of the process that we used. We, we brought you in to talk to our children about engaging with the police. Yes, we sure did. But we also bring in, we do financial management. We also do uh, career, uh, career day. And we talk about all these options that they have. And we try to take them. Uh, one, one time when, when I was um, at Tuning and I had a boys group, uh, Men of Honor, going on. And I had a couple of staff members running that. And they wanted to go on a field trip. And they said, well, we're going to go on this field trip and go there and there. I said, when you take them on this field trip, please take them by this one area where they have some real nice homes and everything else. And talk to our children about the people that live in those homes, put on their pants, their dresses, their blouse, their everything, their shirts, everything, just like they do. And that could be them. Don't just take them to that little destination, but use every moment to expose the children to greater opportunities and a belief that they can have as well. They just have to work for it. They have to work for it and don't give up. They have to be resilient and it takes grit. Well, it takes people like you and, and your staff. I mean, it takes folks that, that have compassion, you know, and, you know, and I hear you say that, but I'm also like, you know, people got to really believe in it and want to, to do, do what you do. Cause I mean, it's, it's not easy work and you certainly don't get paid a lot of money to do it. So you have to be compassionate about it, you know, uh, wanting to make a difference. And that's what you guys do. And, and the fact that it just shows us it can, it can, it can be done. Yeah. It can be done. It's just figuring out how to get the folks at the table to go. Yeah, this is how we need to do this. But it's hard work. It's hard work. Yeah, no, it's you not. Know, when, when you talk about a task force, who's yeah. going to spearhead that? Who's going to take that on? And then even once you take it on, you have those 
plants that come in with a different objective that's going to try to rip it apart, or they have something personal they're trying to get out of it. So it's a hard task. It's really hard, but it can be done. The only thing I want people to realize is that you can't take a law enforcement, the popo in isolation, no more so can you take the achievement gap in the school system in isolation. No more so can you take healthcare in isolation. Right. Everything, it is systemic. When people talk about yep. sy the systemic issues, mm -hmm. it is systemic and it requires a lot of energy to overcome. A lot of energy, a lot of work. and, and I, yeah, yeah. But you have your piece. This is your game. Right. And I have mine. Right. So I'm going to do my part. Exactly. And I, and I, that's what I tell folks, uh, you know, I can't, there's so much that I can do, but this is, you, you say, you know, your part. And what I tell people is that this is my part of the elephant's butt, yeah. <laughs> you know, and th this is the part I'm gnawing on because this is all I can do. You know, somebody else need to do the piece next to me, but this is, this is my lane. But the key thing is to do your part. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly. Do yeah. your part, whatever that part is, do your part. You know, whatever, whatever that that strength is that that you have. So, look, I, I mean, I appreciate you and coming on and, and supporting us. I kind of I want to I definitely want to share your uh, information. So I'm probably going to be um, especially your race plan. I'd love to be able to share that with um, I'm you know, Elaine and let her see that she might want to reach out to talk to you. Um, about what you're talking about, because it, it's just you're right. It's it's just how do we take care of the least of us? What does right. that look like? What 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 does that look like? You know, and and the thing is too. I mean, I hear you talking about all these other entities, but those everybody needs to be at the table. The least of us need to be at the table so we can know what it is you need. <laughs> exactly. You got to be in the room too. Yeah. You know, you know? Yeah. and and oh, and speaking of that too, Principal Williams, how, how do you do that? I mean, because you're talking about at least, and this is just my perspective, you're talking about families that are out here trying to get it done, you know? So you, you know, and now I'm asking them, I mean, they, they working in these jobs and they're doing what they got to do. And now I'm asking them to come to a meeting, you know, and, and all they can do is, is, is keep it in the road. That's all they can do. They don't need to be coming to meetings. They don't need to be coming down to see Principal Williams. So how, but how do we, how do we do this? You know, how, how do we do this? You know, I, I, um, 20 years ago, I started the Domestic Violence Task Force in Panama City, uh, Bay County, uh, Florida. I think it's still maybe going now. Uh, I was working for the state at the time, so I could not be the president of the program. But what I did, I went out and I brought social workers from uh, and, and um, lawyers, uh, police chiefs, from all over the community together in one room. And since I worked for the court system at that particular time, and I was the domestic violence prevention coordinator for a six county area, um, they, I had a little bit of a reputation that I was here to help serve and do some work. And I just invited all of those members to the, to the table. That's right. how I started. Okay. I went to the top and said, you guys need to be at the table if you believe in this work that we're trying to do. Mm. And that's where we started. And there wasn't anyone, I won't try to be in charge. Right. I was trying to address the issue. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing with a, a resource allocation collaborative for equity that I gave you. It's the same thing. You bring the top people to the table 
and say, you're either going to be serious about it or you're not. Right. Yeah. And if you can't make it, sing your second. But don't go any further than that. Right. Sing your second. Because you guys are the ones who's holding the strings. You can't change the system necessarily from the ground up. You can, you can make a dent, but you still have these people over at the top knocking everything down continually, right. reshaping it, reshaping it. And you have to get them engaged. You have to convince them. Now, I have a driving force that keeps me going every day. Yeah. And I mentioned them earlier. And those are my three girls. Yeah. I, I, every day, I think, if this is my last day on this earth, did I make this place a little bit better for them? Yeah. Cool. Did yeah. I make it a little bit better? If one of the students that I serve just so happens to see one of my daughters stranded on the side of the road, how are they going to respond? Now, I know the chances are slim to none, right. but that doesn't matter. What matters is did I pour into them so that if one of your children was stranded on the side of the road, would it make a difference? Right. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Thank you. And thanks for joining. And I think that's a good thing to, to lean on, to, to leave on, is just what you're pouring into each other and, yeah. and, how, and how that impacts the, the, themselves, impacts them and then those around us. So yeah. I appreciate you pouring into me as you've done. Always. I, I appreciate um, your willingness to share some of this uh, with some friends of mine as well. Uh, and I'm looking forward to coming back out to to. Oh, uh, you, to you will be back. And I think I think well because we never mentioned that I have an evening school too. I we yeah. started an evening school okay. about five years ago because yeah. there were students who were trying to support and take care of their families. Okay, they were working during the day and they couldn't go to school, okay. so we created an evening uh, yeah. school called Spire. So okay. if you ask the student, "Are you inspired?" Inspired. So that's, oh, wow. that's, where, that's where the term came from. So. Awesome. Yeah, I'm looking forward to coming back out there. And I appreciate maybe if, if uh, uh, Harmony is not busy, depending on the day, I'll get her to take take the day off or take the afternoon. That'd be awesome. Come out always welcome. You're always welcome. Yeah. The door is always yeah. open. So, I, you know, as always, Principal Williams, you're a blessing to me. And thank you for the support. And I really appreciate it. Uh, oh. Harmony or Andrew, do you guys have any parting words? Another, I think there's one thing that I wanted to say. I know aunt, my aunt picks on me a lot because I say I'm a sponge to a lot of things. That's my my, <laughs> my phrase that I use on the podcast a lot because I sit back and listen because I enjoy listening more than I do speaking sometimes. But I think this is the, this this recording right here was the one that I think I listened to the most or like I was able to to get the most from. So I really appreciate Thank you. you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Harmony, got anything? No, I don't. Oh, wow. That's. Woo-hoo. So that, that says a lot for you, uh, Principal Williams. Yeah. <laughs> I let you drop the mic on me. <laughs> yeah. I, but I knew what I what I told her, I said you you're gonna love Principal Williams, but you you singing her song. I mean, she she is all about, you know, helping others and, and being there supportive. She's she's my she's my girl. So I, I, she's always But you know, for my conclusion, I would say I hope in some way, form or fashion that this time we spent together. I hope it was something positive for each and every one of you because that's my goal and that's my desire in life is to have a positive influence on anyone that I possibly can. And if there's something that I shared that is going to make a difference in your life, in your family, and the people that you love, 
then this was an hour well spent in time, never wasted. So thank you. Thank you, Principal Williams. And for those of you that are listening and and hopefully you'll come back, thank you again for Principal Williams uh, for the Phoenix Academy High School in the Chapel Hill Carborough School System. And as always, stay well, stay safe, peace. God bless. Bye-bye.